The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation, the podcast series that's dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I am, of course, your illustrious host, the mighty, the powerful, the sexy beast himself, Scott Alexander. You think highly of yourself, don't you? <laughs> hey, look, 10,000 women can't be wrong there, sugar tits. 10,000? <laughs> Name two. I actually lost, I won't say when I lost count, but I lost count after a few hundred because I'm a whore. I didn't say your sexual partners. They don't count if you pay them, Scott. I don't have to pay them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ask your mom. That's what your mouth says. <laughs> no, mom says you got to pay her. No, no prenup, no nothing. Your your mom said, mm-hmm. She said, mm-mm, good, like Campbell's. No, she didn't. Oh, yes, she did. Now introduce me. Oh, yeah. And that's just Squatch. Say hi, Squatch. <laughs> hi, everybody. Jesus You Christ. know they love me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I uh, I admire uh, your My self-esteem. Confidence? Yeah, your confidence. You know what? I got to have it around you. <laughs> no shit, huh? All right. So if you can remember good mic positioning today and mic dynamics, that would be freaking awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to try not to move. I'll stand here like a statue. Sit here and like a statue. freeze frame. <laughs> Vogue. <laughs> I already did that with a podcast, you did. remember? You did do Vogue. All right, so tell me what you got for me. I have Carl Charlie Brandt today. Sweet. Yeah. Well, you know when it comes to serial killers, we feature, I, I'm, prob- I'm sure you do too, often shake my head in wonder. I shake my head because I can't believe the depravity some humans will sink to in order to, you know, quiet their demons like Richard Trenton Chase. Um, or to satisfy their, their sick urges like Bitteker and Norris. Um, I shake my head at the sheer stupid things that serial killers manage <laughs> to get away with. No, like Carol Cole. Look at how he got... Uh, oh, I was going to say Lucas Atul. No, that's coming. <laughs> then I shake my head at how law enforcement seems to look the other way, like Carla Homolka. Now, the law enforcement one, that's the one... I, I, I'm yeah, Carol say, Cole, too. With the exception of the Rochester PD. Mm-hmm. Because, once again, if you live in Rochester, New York, and you're part of the police department, seriously, like, kudos. Because everything I read about you guys, when something happens, you guys are, like, fucking on it. I'm afraid to even speak like to your town on. now. Well, see, I'm featuring one next Tuesday out of Rochester that kind of, like... Not that Rochester police were not <laughs> on it, but they just weren't seeing the links. And, and, and I'll explain makes why. Sense. Like, uh, seriously, like, if, if a law enforcement agency isn't seeing the links between the, the murders and say, okay, we don't think it's a serial killer, that's fine. Where I have a problem is where the killings are exactly the same, except they're hookers. Yeah, or they're freaking tied up in their closet and the cops go, you didn't do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good old Carol Cole. I mean, we, I keep coming back to that one. Yeah, it's, or the, the medical ones. It, it's when law enforcement and, and other people that are in... in you know, state and local governments ignore what I've said before, which is throwaway people. Oh yeah, that you know? bothers me. Yeah, they're they're homeless or they're just hookers. Well, they're, they're still people. And, exactly. And I've said a hundred times, I don't like the homeless. I don't like the ones we have here because they're everywhere. Yeah, I don't like their um, what's the word I'm looking for? Entitlement. Yeah, that would be it. And the filthiness is yeah. just garbage everywhere. Yeah, because I get in trouble. I get a ticket if I throw something out my window and when I'm driving in the car. But then you see them leaving their trash everywhere. Right, exactly. And I think that I think being a hooker, honestly, is an honest profession. 
It is. It's the the world's oldest profession. And you and I have talked about if they regulated it, maybe we'd have less crime there. And yeah, there'd be less spread of disease and and what happened. Yeah, because I'm a firm believer. Like I said, I, I'm I'm mostly conservative. Right. However, I do have some very liberal views, and Me that's too. one of them. You know, the the arrangement that a man and woman make behind closed doors. It's their business. That's their fucking business. Yeah, nobody's going around freaking getting pissed off and killing people BDSM and everything. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly, and if somebody in bondage happens to get murdered, they go, oh, it's just somebody who liked BDSM, so we're just going to ignore that. No, they go, we got to solve this motherfucker. Exactly. Call fucking, you know, yeah. Sherlock Holmes and shit. Exactly, make sure, you know, they'll see if it was a part of the sex act or, you know, because that happens, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. But, yeah, totally. And then I even shake my head because the actions of the killer can be outright comical. Now, that one is Beavis and Butthead, Lucas and Tool. That is a fucking fact. Every time I feel... It, in times of trouble... Listen to that episode. I listen to that fucking episode, and I just laugh yeah, and shake too. my head. Me too. That is one that I will forever look back on and laugh my ass off. I want to let everybody know that we got a special guest in the studio today. It is my BFF ghost, the yes, dog. Yes, Ghosty's back. I haven't gotten to see him for a little while because it's been too wet in my backyard. Yeah. And he likes to come in and out. If that back door's not open, he freaks out. He's my buddy, buddy. <laughs> so, however, when I was looking into this case further, I found myself shaking my head for a completely different reason altogether. He had a big wiener. No, mainly oh. because until I read the reports, I didn't believe the story was even remotely true. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had heard something about it. I said, and this is truly a case of the truth is stranger than fiction. Sweet baby yeah. Jesus. Lay it out. Yeah. Me. So I don't want to give away too much. Too early. However, the crimes of Charlie Brandt span a couple of decades, but it doesn't. It wasn't until after the events of September thirteenth, two thousand four, that the whole twisted tale began to unfold. Um, before I give away too much, let me just get started telling you about. You know, um, he goes by Charlie, but his name was Carl. Um, he was born on February twenty third, nineteen fifty seven. Oh, so he's up there in age. Yeah. He was the second child of German immigrants. Freaking Germans, man. Yeah, and his, his parents' name were Herbert and Ilsa Brandt. Um, when Herbert, were they Nazis? Don't I don't think dummy. so. Were they Doesn't say anything about that. I bet you that they've... Uh, Shut up. They I told like you I'm scared either. I am. But <laughs> I have it in my family blood. But when Herbert and Ilsa originally arrived in the United States, they settled in Texas area. And then they eventually moved to Connecticut... And when they arrived there, Herbert was hired as a laborer for one of the international harvester divisions. Okay. As he rose up in the ranks from laborer to draftsman to project engineer, the family would move to new locations. Uh, For that reason, Charlie Brandt and his big sister, Angela, uh, attended multiple schools throughout their early childhood. You know, I keep on expecting you to say Charlie Brown. You know what? I'm surprised I have <laughs> So even so, the young boy was often thought of as a good student, and nothing really stood out either way during his education. Um, now, some reports say that he was rather shy, but that could be attributed to the fact that the family moved so often, because it's often hard for young children to adjust to their new surroundings if they relocate so frequently. He it's was common shy because in he military was, brats. He was shy because he was ho- he was hiding the Jews. In his special shower in the basement. In 1960? Mm-hmm. There's a still Jews today, isn't there, Miss Tommy? There are, but nobody hides them in their basement anymore. That's At least they shouldn't be. Oh. 
Yeah, of course <laughs> not. None of us do yeah. that. Scott, your crawl space? That would be <laughs> illegal to keep them bound up in my basement. I forgot my water outside. Oh, well. Um, so, let's see here. However, in September of 1968, when Herbert was transferred to work out of the company plant in Fort Wayne, Indiana, it seemed like a more permanent arrangement. Um, even though the family relocated frequently, one of the constant things that children could look forward to every year was the family vacations they took to Florida. Okay. Did they fight trees without their shirts on? No, they generally went around Christmas time. And it's a perfect time to fight a tree. Yeah, down in like the um hang on. Um Ormond Beach area. I have no idea. I'll explain it. I don't either, but um uh bum bum. Um that's where Herbert actually taught his young son to hunt small game. Oh, cool. Yeah. And they often went out hunting together during those family trips at Christmas time. So on the night of January 3rd, 1971, it seemed like just another run-of-the-mill night for the Brandt family. Um, They had just bought a new TV. So they were sitting around watching TV together. Then they all went about their regular bedtime routines. Angela said goodnight to her parents and went to her room to read a book. Brandt had also gone to his room, like they both do. Um, Ilsa was eight months pregnant. Okay. And she decided she wanted to take a bath before she went to bed. So Herbert went to shave while she ran the bath water. As Herbert was shaving, he looked up in the mirror in time to see their son, 13 years old, walk into the room carrying Herbert's handgun. Uh, the boy had stolen the gun from his father's dresser before he simply shot his, both his mother and his father at point blank range. What the fuck? Yeah. In the end, Herbert would survive the attack. However, Ilsa and the unborn child weren't so lucky. They died instantly. Jesus Christ. Yeah. What a little fucking psycho. Okay, well, listen to this part. Um, Angela was engrossed in her book when she heard what she thought were firecrackers. Uh, the noise startled her, but when she heard her father shouting something to the effect of, Charlie, don't, or Charlie, stop, she ran to her door to find out what was going on. As she reached for the handle, her brother threw the door open, and she saw him pointing a gun at her. See, already I'm shaking my head. And let me tell you why, because normally, and I know that the liberals out there are going to be pissed when I say this, but normally when a child's raised around guns and they learn gun safety and how to use right, it as a tool. Right, they don't go out like that. It's normally not the people like me that were raised around guns that go around shooting people and being No, dick. I think a lot of them, yes, their parents have guns, but they're the ones that like make guns taboo. You know what I mean? They'll have guns and everything, but it's like, don't go near them. I don't want you to know about them. Type exactly. Thing. I've, I've had access to guns all my entire life. Yeah. You know, and I can guarantee if I'm pointing a gun at somebody, there's a fucking reason. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's not just on a on a whim. You know yeah. what I mean? No shit, yo. And he, like I said, he learned to hunt. He knew how to hunt. He knew how to use a gun. Um, Angela, when she saw this, she figured that her little brother wanted to kill her. However, when he raised the gun to fire it, all she heard was a click. He had run out of bullets. Thank goodness. Yeah. However, the two struggled for a bit, and Brant managed to get his hands around her neck to strangle her. Oh, shit. Yeah. She, Angela remembers looking up at her brother, and all she could see was a glazed look in his eyes. She later claimed that it was as if he were in a trance of some kind. And then suddenly, his eyes began to clear and focus and almost just as suddenly, he let go of her, stepped back, and said, what am I doing? Yeah, 
Dude, he was possessed by a Nazi. <laughs> That's it, right there. So Angela then attempted to keep her brother calm, right? She told him she was going to help him figure out what they should do next, you know, to clean up the mess. Um, it took some doing, but she managed to get Brant to go get some blankets for their younger sisters. Her, their sisters were infants, and thankfully he hadn't even gone near them, okay? So when he was out of sight, she grabbed the girls and bolted out the front door. Smart move. Yeah, pretty smart. She don't know what all fucko psycho they're yeah. going to do next. So Brant ran out of the house after her. However, once he was outside, he only walked up. He just went up to a neighbor's house, knocked on her door. And when she answered it, he looked at her and said, I just shot my mom and dad. And that's it. Huh. Well, at least she was honest about it. Yeah. And so sometime later, he told Angela that he had no memory of his actions that night. Which, if he was in a trance like she thinks he was... You know, with the glazed look like he yeah, wasn't even there. Yeah, he's not going to fucking remember what the hell he did. Yeah. So when the authorities were questioning him, he claimed he felt the shooting was the result of a combination of things, uh, most of which related to what was going on at school. Um, he did say everything sort of snapped in my mind, and I felt like I'd never felt before. That's all he said. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I am paying close attention. Yeah. But- while you're talking, I'm going to lean back because I got to get like a sweater or something because the back door is open. Oh, yeah. Your, your ass it's, getting cold. It's blowing right at my crack. They didn't need to know all that. Now Will you I'm, give me some water while you're up, please? I suppose. I said please. Do you want the whole dog dish or do you just want <laughs> like, I just want a cup of, <laughs> cup of the bot water, not the sink water. I was going to give you the dog bowl, but okay. I know you are. <laughs> Here we go. Anyways, then Brandt alluded to an incident that allegedly took place a few short days before. However, he never expanded on it. All he said was um, when the incident took place, it took place at the end of the annual Brandt Christmas vacation. And it involved Herbert shooting their dog while he and Brent were out hunting. But that's all he said. He didn't expand on it. Um, so, of course, Brent was ordered to undergo psychiatric evaluations. And he would be seen on three separate occasions by three separate professionals. None of them could determine exactly what the catalyst was that prompted a young boy to shoot his parents and attempt to kill the rest of his family. So when Harold Pansner, um, one of the evaluating psychologists, thank you, uh, talked about it later, he said that basically, he, and I'm quoting him, he goes, basically I was looking for mental illness and he wasn't showing the signs and symptoms of a seriously men- of serious mental illness in any way, which I thought was what the court wanted to know. Um, so there was, he wasn't showing signs of diminished capacity or um, delusional thinking or anything like that. Um, so at the time, um, in the early 70s, Brandt was considered too young under the laws of Indiana to be tried for murder. So they sent him to a psychiatric facility, and here's the kicker. Um, he shot his mom. And killed her and their un- her unborn baby, shot his father at point blank range, tried to kill his older sister. And I'm sure if he would have succeeded in that, he would have killed his younger sisters as well. And he remained at the facility for just over one year. In 1972, 
Brant was released back into society to live with his family. When he came home, the family decided they would never talk about the incident again. And as a matter of fact, nobody discussed it again until 2004. Until that point, Brant and Angela's two little sisters were led to believe that their mother had been involved in a fatal car accident. Yeah, so he only spent a year in psychiatric hospital for shooting his mom. Jesus Christ. If I knew that's all the time, I would have had to spend. <laughs> Fuck. After shooting, well, you were a little older. <laughs> I mean, you were in a time a little, you know, because it was after this, but. Well, yeah. You know, when laws change. <laughs> Damn laws. Yeah. So not long after Brant was released from the mental institution, the family moved to Ormond Beach, Florida. However, about a year later, not even a full year later, Herbert took his new wife and the two younger daughters and moved back to Indiana. Um, Brant and his older sister, Angela, would remain in Florida staying and living with their grandparents. Okay? So Brant continued to live his life as if nothing had happened. Almost as if that horrible night in January 1971 was just a horrible dream that didn't really take place. You know what I mean? Because nobody talked about it. Right, right, right. Which, I, in my personal opinion, I think that's a horrible thing to do is not yeah. have some dialogue about it, especially after he's been let go from a psychiatric incident. Because he, he needs to realize what he did. Exactly. And he needs to be able to accept what he did. And have steps take in accountability to, for what he right did. And, and put steps in 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 place to keep it from ha- reoccurring. Exactly, exactly. I agree with you. But what what year was this anyway? Uh, he shot them in seventy one, and he got out in seventy two. So right around seventy two, seventy three. Oh, okay. So it it's not like because I'm thinking two thousand four. I'm all fucking. No, that's when the later incident gotcha. happened. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I'm hip to the scene now. Yeah. Up, put your, I hear you chirping, Big Bird. Do you hear me chirping, Big Bird? I hear you chirping, so Big Bird. So by 1984, Brant had graduated from high school and went on to college and obtained his degree in electronics. And he went on actually to work for Aster, for the, in Aster for the Ford Aerospace, for, for Ford Aerospace as a radar specialist. I know what Aster is. Isn't it a town? I asked her a question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. You are so Southern sometimes. It's disgusting. <laughs> Just like uh, there, there's a, a street in Bend or in, in Redmond called uh, Odom. And I had a, a, an ex-girlfriend of mine in my truck with me and we're driving. Uh, that's a Southern word. She goes, what do you be? Let me use it in a, uh, in a sense. O-D-E-M. Are owe them kids yours or just some of them? <laughs> I owed them some money. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going to go. Um, so by 1986, Brant had a girlfriend named Teresa Terry Helfrich. And they got Teresa and she went by Terry Helfrich. Okay, I was going to say, that sounds like something out of a fucking kid's no. book. <laughs> Little Teresa Terry Helfrich went up the road <laughs> with, a no. ba- with, a bucket, with a basket for a bushel of berries. No. Yeah. She, her name was Teresa. She went by Terry. There we go. Gotcha. So, and they got married. When they tied the knot, none of his relatives were invited to attend their wedding. I got to admit, I don't blame him. I, yeah, I'm I don't going to fall I was going to say, that. have any of your relatives attended your weddings? Uh, wedding number one, uh, everybody did. Wedding number two, everybody did. Mm-hmm. Wedding number three, uh, 
only Missy's family showed up because I didn't invite anybody else. That's her, your wife. Yeah, that's my third. Okay, got to make sure I'm on the right track here. The midget was just... <laughs> what? You call everybody else by their name except for her. Oh, fine. The vertically impaired one. <laughs> Doesn't she have a name? Yeah, she does. What is it, vertical? And midget? last name impaired? <laughs> her, her Mid? First, her first name is Oompa and her last name is Loompa. And she likes to doopity do. She has special little rhymes for you. I hope she you one of these days. She I probably really will. Comes in and bites your ankle, motherfucker. No, her her name is Trisha. No. <laughs> and then for the last one, no. And the last one, we ran off to uh, Sandpoint, Idaho, and got married by a justice of the peace. Oh, so you had a little courthouse wedding. We did. Oh, I did the you. same thing with the midget too. Oh well, no. Just after so many, there's no need, no need for pomp and circumstance there, Scott. Well, true. And I'll tell you what, I think that wedding should have also been half price with the divorce because it's half oh, a person. Oh, so half price marriage, half price divorce. It's half a person. Okay. If you could fit them in you your back pocket. You are alienating so many. Did you really fit her in your back pocket? Just about, yeah. Like we went on vacation once. I just put her in a duffel bag and put her in the overhead. <laughs> Didn't buy a ticket. She was my carry-on. God dang right, man. I just gave her... <laughs> when I, she started wrestling, I kicked the bag. <laughs> I, I guess to drink this soda pop. She did. She was out like a light. Put her in a duffel bag. Lifted her ass up in there. Put her in there. You're so dumb. Well, I didn't check her into luggage or anything. Well, that's good. I was tempted to. Then I saw him throwing those bags. I didn't want to get my bag hurt. So <laughs> you didn't want your bag to get hurt. No, I didn't want. I didn't want it to get ripped or anything. Didn't want the old bag. <laughs> oh, your bag bag. I thought you made yours. No, no, I didn't want him to rip my new devil bag. I'm done. I can't even go on. So um, it'd be funny if she's coming out of that carousel, that luggage carousel, though. <laughs> All you hear is let me out, let me out, happy, happy. I'm not gonna make you cookies. <laughs> my God, I am so embarrassed right now. <laughs> this is why I don't put you on speakerphone in public. You should, though. <laughs> no. So prior to the event, however, Angela, along with her husband, her husband, Jim, sat down with Brant, and they told him, you need to tell Terry about what had, you had done to your mom. So she knew. And it, you know what I mean? Which makes you're sense. You're marrying this woman. She needs to know about your past. Also, just for safety alone, and... It, Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I'm thinking for safety longer. Hey, look, I had a problem when I was thirteen years old. This is everything that happened, mm -hmm. and and be upfront about it because a couple of reasons. Number one, she could be watching for signs, right? And two, no matter what somebody's done in their past, right? If they tell me about it upfront, right, and it comes out later, well, okay, I'm no worse for work because. That person told me. Yeah, and it's not a shock. Right. However, if I'm seeing somebody, and let's say that we're together, let's go a year. Let's go short term. Okay. That's one year later. And we're sitting around, and they go, yeah, man, Terry over here used to be a hooker, and she used to suck dick for 20 bucks. I'm, I'm going to be looking at her and go, oh, bitch, we got fucking problems. So we're going to go now because we're going to have ourselves a little come to Jesus. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me about this? Yeah. Why don't you tell me? It's not like I'd have been mad. I wondered why you ate Tic Tacs all the time and there was always this smell of cock on your breath. And now I know why. Because you've been blowing dudes for 20 bucks. 
hooker. <laughs> or whatever they charge. I don't know what a hooker charges. I really don't. I don't either. I used to know somebody who did it for five, but whatever. <laughs> God damn. And her number is? <laughs> when you like to know. So Angela, actually, she prefers men of African-American descent. So shut up, Scott. Right here, brother. <laughs> yeah. I knew you were going to say something. So Angela doesn't know whether he ever did talk to her or not. Um, so after they got married and in 19, they got married in 96 and in 1989, the couple moved into a nice beach house, you know, cause he had a good job cool, cool. on big pine key, which is the southernmost point of the Florida keys, mm-hmm. which I would love to go to the Florida keys. No, you don't. Just saying. No. Why not? They'll use your shark bait. Shut up, dude. I heard shark I want to go to Miami too. Cause I hear they have bomb ass Cuban food over there. They got a lot of fucking Cubans, so you <laughs> can't imagine, right? I know. I love Cuban food. So I love Cuban um, women. Now we're going to fast forward to 2004. September of 2004 was a tumultuous time in Florida. On September 2nd, as Hurricane Ivan was bearing down on the Florida Keys, Brant and Terry were forced to evacuate their house on um, Big Pine Key. Okay. So Michelle Lynn Jones, the couple's niece which I'm assuming is her niece, the niece on Terry's side, uh, lived near Orlando. And she told them they could stay with her. Um, from September 2nd through the 13th, Michelle and her mother, Mary Lou, kept in contact with each other regularly by phone. All right. Michelle was also in regular contact with several of her friends. Um, Lisa Emmons, one of Michelle's friends, was supposed to go over to the house for a visit on the night of the 13th. They had plans. However, when she called to confirm and solidify the plans with Michelle, Michelle told her it really wasn't a good time because apparently Brant and Terry had been drinking and they ended up having a heated argument. So she didn't want to bring her friend into that. You realize Brant is their whole family's last name, right? You should be calling him Charlie. I'm talking about him. Yeah. Okay. Just saying. Fine. Yeah. So that was the last time anyone heard. Oh, wait. Yeah. That was the last time anybody heard from Michelle. Uh, Later that evening, much to the alarm of her friends and family, Michelle quit answering her phone. She just all of a sudden stopped. They would call her. She never answered. And that was unlike her. Oh, because I do that with my family a lot. You do that with me a lot. No, I don't. No, you don't. God damn. I always call and say, do you have any of your mom's underwear handy? No, you always call me and say, bitch, get the fuck up. Uh, good morning, sunshine. You, you, I, I got like and then the one time you fucking call me at not, at 10 o'clock in the morning and I've been up for an hour, you yell at me and tell me I've been sleeping the whole time. You were sleeping all the time. Anyway, get on with your damn I story. I was not so asked. Go take a shower and masturbate. The thoughts of your mom. I do not need to know that. Do you have any of your mom's panties? Not on me. Dirty ones? Not on me. Oh, bring me some. I'm wearing them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am just kidding. Um, let's see, where was I? Oh, on September 15th, Debbie Knight, another one of Michelle's friends, was on the phone with Mary Lou, Michelle's mother, when she went over to Michelle's house to check on her because nobody had heard from her for two days. Uh, when she arrived, the front door was locked. So she tried to get in another way. Since she and Michelle were good friends, she knew how to get in via the garage. As soon as she opened the garage door, she saw Charlie hanging from the rafters. He had hung himself using some of the bed sheets. We're talking our killer dude, right? Yep. Wait a minute. It's coming. 
I'm telling you, it's a bizarre story, and what I need, what you're gonna see is coming. And it was obvious he had been there for a while because his body had already started to decompose. You know, Florida. Um, Debbie hung up the phone with Mary Lou immediately and contacted the police. Um, she didn't even go in the house at that point. Smartest move you can do, by the way. Yeah. Um, like, seriously, this is a little PSA for all of our listeners. If you do come across a dead body of any sort, whether stop. it's a family member, a neighbor, whatever, mm-hmm. stop. Yeah, even Puff. if you see him through the window, don't open the fucking door. Happened to my dad. Um, so right next door to my dad used to be this chick named uh, Brenda. And she moved out. She sold her place. And uh, her roommate was staying there for a couple of days. And he was going to move on, right? Uh-huh. He was an ex-heroin junkie. Well, he had noticed that this dude's car hadn't moved in a long time. Uh-oh. So he goes, knocks on the door. There's no answer. He starts looking through the window. Because my dad was a snoopy motherfucker. Um, and this was towards the end of his life, by the way. So he's home all the time. So he's the one that's sitting in his window writing down license plates of people who drive by too fast? He would call me up all the time. Hey, Scott. Because um, I can still do his voice. I swear to God, if uh, if my stepmom still has his voice on her voicemail, I you got to listen to it. I can do it perfectly. Well, you know, damn kids. I got their license plate numbers written down. Because it keeps speeding by my house. Damn it. Damn whippersnappers. Mm, yeah. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Damn it, boy. Anyway, he found, he looked through this dude's window, his bedroom window, and saw him slumped across his bed with a heroin needle in his oh, arm. Oh, no. He'd been there for like two days. Oh, I bet. Ugh. So, yeah. They I couldn't to... imagine. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, so then uh, when, when, when Jana moved in next door to my dad, uh, we call that the the dead the dead man room. <laughs> the dead man room. Yeah. <laughs> dead man room. Yeah. Um, you but sleeping yeah. in the dead man's room? But yeah, after that, my dad makes sure that he retraces his steps out. Yeah. Immediately called the police. Didn't try to answer. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's your smartest move. Because if they're if it if it's an OD or a suicide, that's one thing. Yeah. But if there's foul play. Yeah, your DNA gets there. You don't want to be the suspect. No, you you leave your DNA behind everywhere you go. Right. God knows I do. <laughs> coast to coast. You spread your seed wide and far. <laughs> like Johnny Appleseed, man. You're so fucking stupid. <laughs> so when law enforcement arrived, they went into the house, and what they, they discovered the remains of both Terry and Michelle. Terry was found just laying on the couch. She had been stabbed in the chest approximately seven times. Damn. Yeah. Michelle, on the other hand, had been mutilated. She had been disemboweled and decapitated. And Charlie had removed her heart and organs from her body and placed her head beside it. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Go bigger, go home. Yeah. The weapons he had used were simple knives out of Michelle's kitchen. He didn't use a hunting knife or nothing. He just used the knives out of the kitchen. I admire that. Yeah. Well, I mean, because he, he didn't, like, premeditate it and go, Yeah, okay, I don't think it. it was planned. I think he snapped. And then realized what Jesus. he had done. And killed himself. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. There was also evidence in the house that indicated once Charlie had murdered the wom- women, he cleaned up a bit. He took a shower before he grabbed the sheets and went to the garage. And he had put a ladder between the two cars. You know, and climbed up on that, and that's how he hung himself. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. 
Well, so he could walk baby. between the two cars and just step off the ladder, yeah. And walk like an Egyptian. Oh, my God. <laughs> Although the crime scene told them quite a bit, the authorities still had some questions. So they went looking for the answers, and they got more than what they anticipated. Oh. Yeah. When, it, when I first started looking into this case, I couldn't figure out why Charlie was on a list of serial killers. After all, just because he killed his mother when he was 13, and then 30 years later he killed his wife and niece, that made, didn't make him a serial killer. That just made him a disturbed family annihilator. Well, then that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So you got my attention on this. I'm waiting yeah. for you to get to the meat and potatoes yeah, of it. Yeah, it's coming. So especially when you consider the way he mutilated Michelle's body. <laughs> so like a true armchair detective, I kept digging. The investigators started by searching Charlie's house on Big Pine Key. They found... He himself received a monthly subscription to Victoria's Secret catalog, and that in itself is not a problem. But for some reason, the detectives at the time thought it was a bit odd. That's not odd at all. And let me tell you why. So when I was married to ex-wife number two, Amanda, right? Mm -hmm. I bought her some stuff from Victoria's Secrets. Right. Oh, yeah. So you go in, you give them your number and your... uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I started getting catalogs for Vic's Secrets. Oh, I bet you did. And you enjoyed them, didn't you? (laughs) Not as much as seeing Amanda wearing that stuff. <laughs> Dude, I like a good... Pu- well, back when I could, I wore a good push-up bra from Victoria's Secret. But I yeah, so that's, it may, maybe he ordered Terry some, you know... That could be very things, possible. And they're like, okay, well, now you're on our mailing list and we're sending you this shit all the time. Yeah. I mean, and that, like I said, I don't think it's a problem, but the authorities thought it was. I don't know. So yet... Further into their search, they also found that he had another extensive collection. This collection contained surgery-themed books, wall wall posters, and article clippings. When they searched his computer, they found he logged regular searches for graphic autopsy photos and snuff porn. The porn that depicts extreme violence towards women. Okay, I was going to say... If he was just looking at surgical stuff. Yeah, that's not a big deal. That, I'd be like, dude, that's hobby. Back off the yeah, motherfucker. But, but the snuff porn. Yeah, and- there's something. I mean, yeah, everybody has a proclivities, but snuff porn is extreme violence. Yeah. So, um, so when the investigators went over the original crime scene again, there was something that stood out to them. The way Charlie murdered, dismembered, and displayed Michelle's body, it was obvious to them that he had previous experience carrying out those acts. It wasn't the first time. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so since the nature of his position at work had him traveling so often, they began to dig deeper. They uh, began to go over Florida cold cases that fit the modus operandi, and however, they didn't stop there. They also sent requests out to law enforcement across the country and beyond. Okay, into Canada and Mexico. It makes sense because yeah, and I, I, I didn't say it, but I was thinking it because usually when I open my mouth, you're going to answer the question. But I was thinking the same thing because you're not going to go from using a firearm to kill family parents, members, right. and trying to choke somebody to e- even. I can, I can see him stabbing his wife. Yeah, I given, can too. Given the past, and the seven times, that's, you know, that that's a, an act of passion. It is. Um, is that a car alarm? I don't know what the fuck that is. Oh, it stopped. Oh, there you go. But you, you're not going to go from something like that. Right. 
to disemboweling and decap. That's a lot of work. Yeah, that's, that's like some Danny Rawlings shit. That's not just blanking out. Yeah. That is something that, that is takes, a long thought out process. Yeah, that's something that you have to be really methodical about. Right. In the end, what they found is what has me shaking my head. When all was said and done, law enforcement was able to link Charlie to a total of 26 unsolved murders in the state of Florida alone. Holy fuck. Yeah. The earliest one dated back to 1973. He was 15 years old and Charlie and his fa- when his Charlie and his family moved down there from Indiana and he was and here are just a few of the murders. So shortly after he got out of the nut hut. Yeah. So he was 15 years old and he was going around killing people. Yeah, developing that oh. that MO. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And nobody knew about it. That's fucking uh, okay, I, I will say I'm I'm a little disgusted with it, but with that said, I kind of admire Yeah, that. to get away with it for over 30 years. This dude had his shit down. Mm-hmm. Like, they would have never caught him unless he wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have hung himself. Yeah, if he wouldn't have fucking killed his wife and, yeah, and niece his wife and, and, and hung himself. Yeah. He would have, he would be killing right, right now. now. Yeah. Like, right fucking today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And nobody would even know because they wouldn't link them together. Holy shit. Yeah. So his the first murder they talk about, I mean, they don't get into all of them, but this one happened in 1978. Remember, he was 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. No, just over 20. Excuse me. Yeah, he was just over 20. So Carol, uh, 12-year-old Carol Sullivan. Carol was last seen at the school bus stop in Vol- Volusia County on September 20th, 1978. All right. Her skull was later found in a bucket. Just her skull. Holy shit. Since the rest of her remains were never located, it was assumed at the time that she had been murdered and decapitated, obviously. Well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. She would have had to have been decapitated at some point. Yeah, precisely. So with no other leads, that case went cold. Brant was 20 years old and living in Volusia County himself at that time. And until 2004, that was the only thing that could link him to the crime. So Holy he wasn't even shit. a suspect. Well, yeah. I don't think he was ever a suspect in any other yeah. murders. I mean, dude had his shit down pat. Yeah, pretty much. <coughs> so then the next one they talk about was in 1988. Uh, it was 20-year-old Lisa Saunders. In December of 88, Lisa was in Big Pine Key when she was severely beaten brutally stabbed and then dragged from her car. When her body was found, her heart was missing. Uh, The authorities were able to link her murder to Charlie later. However, they are still not sure whether he took the heart with him or he left it beside the body and it was eaten by scavengers. I would, no, yeah. Well, I, yeah, because it doesn't say when her body was found from when she was murdered. I, I He probably left it there, and only because you haven't said anything about him taking any souvenirs. Yeah. Anything like that. I mean, he left the head with the, the, the niece. Yeah. So, yeah, I... 
I know. I'm having a hard time believing he would have taken the heart too. Right, right, right. It just it doesn't. Sound Unless he put it somewhere else, which is possible, but I don't see that because he left her. He left Michelle's remains right there beside her in her head. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm comparing it to. I it doesn't feel to me personally. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, thinking that he took it with him. Took it with me. Yeah, right. I would think that he did the deed. No, I agree. Took the heart. You know, opened her up, all that good shit, and the scavengers ate it. It's Florida, man. There's a lot of bugs. Yeah, they were saying vultures and other land animals, but yeah. I agree. So, the next one is 1989. 38-year-old Sherry Pericho, P-E-R-I-S-O. On July 16th, 1989, Sherry's partially nude body was found somewhere near the North Pine Channel Bridge, at Big Pine Key. She was homeless and living there on a dinghy. When her body was found, her throat had been cut to the point where her head was nearly severed. And similar to Michelle, there were signs of extensive mutilation and her heart had been completely removed. Uh, Charlie was living less than a thousand feet from where Sherry's body was discovered. Holy shit. There was a composite made of a man who had been crossing U.S. Route 1 on the night Sherry was slain, and Charlie matched that composite. This is the evidence Monroe County used to close the case officially in 2006, May 6th of 2006. In a bizarre twist, before Charlie committed the murder-suicide, Terry had a conversation with her brother-in-law, and during that conversation, she told him she suspected her husband was involved in the murder. Holy shit. So apparently, she had been seeing signs. And I, Okay, so with her knowing that and saying that, maybe they did have that conversation. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, why would you suspect your spouse unless you have a reason to suspect them? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And what's the best reason to suspect them? Hey. He's got a history of violence, of violence. And this woman here just had her fucking throat cut. <laughs> yeah. Well, and see, even mutilated. if he had that discussion with her, though, he had just shot his mom. It's not like he, you know, treated her like wild game. No, no. And, and I dig that. But even if your spouse is acting a little off. True. What would make you think, hey, he's out there killing somebody. Cheating? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Having second thoughts about your marriage? Maybe. Yeah. Um, bought something he wasn't supposed to buy. Yeah. Or thinking about it. Maybe. Financial trouble. Maybe. But you're not going to be sitting and go, oh, that mother- I think that motherfucker's out there killing people. Yeah. That's true. That wouldn't be the first thing that came to my mind. Right. It's, well, it's... unless I was thinking about you, but whatever. <laughs> oh, it just depends on who I'm killing. Like me? No. Neighbors. <laughs> Oh, yeah, them too. I forgot about them. <laughs> and the fucked up thing is I hope they don't die. Yeah, because you are suspect number one. You are like. I'm going to I'm going to jail for a while until they sort yeah. all this shit out. We're talking like probably a year or two before yeah. they go, okay, we figured out that you didn't do it. It was like this dude over here. Yeah. In fact, I've been fucking telling what you What did that. they used to call John Dillinger? Uh, something number one. I can't remember. But, public enemy number yeah, one. Yeah, there you go. That That's would be me. you. I am the public enemy number one. Yeah. Um, then the last one they talk about happened in 1995. This one was 38-year-old Darlene Toller. Uh, Darlene was a prostitute in Miami, 
and her remains were wrapped in plastic and dumped near the highway. You know, toller's a southern word too, right? It is. Uh huh. Oh God, let me tell. Say it. I told her not to do it, but she did it anyway. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> well, anyway, so, you know, like I said, her remains. Well, what was left of her remains? Her body was missing her head and her heart. Um, Charlie traveled that exact highway where the body was discovered when he traveled back and forth to Miami. And he also kept detailed records of every one of his trips. Uh, on the day of Darlene's murder, Charlie's mileage record showed that an entry for exactly 100 miles, and that is precisely the number of miles of driving the distance between Miami and Big Pine Key. Holy shit. Yeah. So that's all I have on him. But like I said, nobody knew. I mean, almost like Lucas and Tool, or not Lucas and Tool, but uh, Carl Pandrum. Nobody knew he was a serial killer. I can't, like I said, I, I really admire this one. Yeah. Killed 26 women. And nobody and had a fucking children, clue. girls. This dude could have killed coast to coast. And, and here's why I like him. We were talking a few weeks ago about that killer couple. It's two guys that met while they were in jail. In prison. Norris and Bittaker? Yeah, them two. And drop Grace. And they were methodical and thorough about developing their their methodology. Mm-hmm. And how they would get the women into their vans and, and what they would do. They were thorough. I mean, they trained to do this. Yeah, they picked up 20 women before they even killed somebody. And they couldn't pull it off like this dude did. No. By himself. Well, you blame that on the fact that they started it. 16, 15, 16, and not at 13. Because they were out of their... <laughs> that still irritates the shit out of me. <laughs> that they set up the cycle and they, you don't start in the middle of a fucking cycle. Yeah. I would fire people for doing shit like that. If they said, okay, we're going to do like uh, numbers one through ten. And they said, but we're going to start at five. You're fired. Here's your check. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Go. Just leave now. You don't even have the chance to backtrack your statement. Yeah. No. I mean, I could get the fuck out of here. Out of here. You don't start in the middle of a cycle on anything. Yeah. No. And that's true. And like I said, I mean, this, this guy. This is a bomb of serial killing, man. Yeah. He just, I mean, he was like on it like Blue Bonnet. He. You know, knew what he wanted to do, did it. So impressive. Yeah. I mean, and I just, like I said, I I was watching this documentary series and I just happened to catch a, like a clip of it. You know what I mean? I'm like, no. And then I looked into it. It's like, it was factual. Totally factual. Jesus Christ, man. This is like something out of the FBI files yeah. and shit. Well, like I said, it's like truth is stranger than fiction. Twilight Zone shit. No shit. All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. How about that? That's fine. Actually, I wanted to know. Nature or nurture? Oh, this is nature 100%. I don't think his yeah. parents had any. No, and he had seemed to have a good childhood. Yeah, and Angela childhood. didn't say anything about abuse or anything growing also, up. Also, nature, because I'm going to go back to he knew gun safety. True. He knew that guns were a tool. Mm-hmm. You know? Um so for him to start off by using a gun, mm-hmm. if he would have stabbed his parents right. in their sleep, I would have said, hmm, let's look a little closer. Yeah. But normally people who know gun safety, who've been raised around guns, who understand that they're not a, just a weapon, they're a tool. Right. You know, because guns are made to do one thing, and that's to kill. Right. Okay. But it also but, makes me wonder about, um, what was I going to say? I'll keep talking. I'll figure it out. Go ahead. And, but killing isn't always a bad thing. 
you know, I like to hunt, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, killed deer, elk, I've, uh, you know, killed fucking, I haven't killed a moose yet, but I've done antelope, I've done wild boar, um, bears, and shit like that, because it's a tool. Right. It's knowing how to properly use that tool, and he knew how to properly use that tool, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the in the right setting. So, given that information and how he went on, this is definitely nature, man. Okay, 100%. now I know what I was going to say. But what do you think about the thing that his sister said about him being in that trance? He couldn't have been in a trance every time he killed somebody, could he? No, 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 yeah. no, no. Uh-uh. No. Uh, yeah. I don't think that he was actually in a trance. Oh, back when he killed his parents? Yeah. No, I don't I don't think he was. Okay, so why would she say that? I mean, because she's the one that said it. Right. Well, because he probably said he probably said, I don't remember anything. Well, no, because she said she looked in his eyes when he was strangling her, and he had, like, this blank look on his face. Do you think it's just because he was in the moment and it's focused moment. on killing her? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's what I was wondering. Yeah. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. Click on that uh, Amazon link, especially for Christmas. Helps out the show a lot. Doesn't cost you a thing extra. Just helps us out. Also, check out our Patreon page. we got some pretty cool levels going on there. And I have a poll up there for that I want you guys to participate it's in. It's amazing because I've got a poll. I'm waiting for your mom to come back from vacation. Anyway. To participate in? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and where and you know, basically wherever you get your blogs from, we're distributed quite a few places. This show's copyright 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. We'll catch you guys later. Bye bye. You gonna say bye? Or you bye, everybody. Sit over there. No, I was typing up the summary so I could post it right away. Sorry. You got that glazed look. You were, you you were gonna kill me, weren't you? That, that dude, you had that. I have thought about killing you so many times. Your, your eyes. Why do you think I watch true crime documentaries? So I know how to get away with it. Sweet. Yeah, that's what I used to say to my mom because she used to watch like FBI files and <laughs> you know forensic files and shit. I go, you're trying to plan the perfect murder. <laughs> but yeah. Research, research. All right. Bye-bye, folks. Bye, Bye. everybody.